Oh, you're Hi, welcome to episode 19 of Seize the Moment podcast. Today we're going to talk about what would you do if money were no object. And actually, I want to ask you, what would you do if money were no object? So, I want to kind of a little bit first talk about that. I love that. That was so random. So the video that you sent me, the Alan Watts one, which was obviously also called What Would You Do If Money Were No Object? So the ideas that he had in it were actually really, really cool. And so like for those of you guys who've never encountered Alan Watts before, so he was pretty much the person, the the American or I guess technically he's British. So the kind of person from the West who brought who brought Eastern philosophy to the West. So sort yeah. of brought it to all of us to kind of uh and I think he was one of the first translators of like the different Buddhist and Hindu texts, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong. But he was definitely the most popular. Yeah, he wrote books like uh The Taboo Against Knowing Who You Are. Mm-hmm. Um he, yeah, he brought he talked a lot about uh Hindu texts, Buddhist texts yeah. and brought them to a Western audience. Mm-hmm. And uh why did we choose Alan Watts? Because Alan Watts is if you've ever listened to him he is one of the most charismatic speakers yeah. i've ever heard and also the way he frames the uh concepts and ideas that are uh taught in hindu uh, in the hindu religion in the buddhist uh, religion um in zen in general um the way he highlights those concepts he made them very easy to understand or if not easy to understand he did the best job, uh, definitely for that time period. Yeah, for clarity. Yeah, for yeah. clarity. So what I really, well, I definitely am going to answer your question, but it just really, really, because I, I think the question itself is really important in the context of that video, what he said. So remember the part that he mentioned about power and about how all of us think like what we really want is power, but then when we kind of actually think through it, we realize mm, maybe not so much. Maybe power isn't the thing that I thought it would be, and it's definitely not the sort of precursor to joy or the sort of major precursor to joy. So, like, I thought that was really cool because actually I do that a lot. Of, well, not, no, nah, I always say the word a lot, but I do that from time to time in my therapy sessions where, so let's say somebody will come in and they'll say something like, well, you know, I'm really unhappy because I'm not where I want to be in life. And then when I ask them, obviously, where do you want to be in life? They say, well, I want kind of more success, right? More sort of power, more influence, more financial wealth. And then kind of as we go through the thought process of whether that is or isn't worth the time invested, sometimes, not always, obviously, but sometimes they figure out, you know, what, maybe this actually isn't what I want. So just to kind of give you guys a brief rundown of kind of Alan Watts' idea, he said essentially that when you kind of consider what power is and what it means, right, let's say in an absolute sense that power is this thing that makes you obviously omnipotent, right? It makes you sort of all, not all-knowing, but all-powerful. And able to control everything. Yeah, everything. And what he's saying is once you really think about it and break it down, you don't really want to control everything. If you did, you would take the... Uh, spontaneity out of it right you would uh, it's like uh, if you really could control everything how people react to you how they see you all that it's like interacting with a doll it's not like actor interacting with another self Mm -hmm. because at least if you were interacting with another self another you so to speak then you would be getting that uh, spontaneity from from them Mm -hmm. and you might not want that power that control it sounds uh it sounds interesting on the surface Mm -hmm. i like the idea if i could stop time and then do something (laughs) in the middle of time Mm -hmm. like i rearrange something in the shot or Mm -hmm. something like that and then resume time (laughs) and then people will see me like i'm standing over here Mm -hmm. or something like that they'll be like whoa Mm -hmm. that's kind of cool but 
if I really thought about it, I'm not sure if I would really want all that control. Yeah, and even I think over your own life. So the reason why I thought it was a really good idea to talk about the Alan Watts sort of, um, what is it, I guess... Uh, sort of lecture, you know, for like it is a yeah, it yeah. technically is. It's yeah. from a lecture uh, that was uh, titled uh, "What Do You Desire?" Mm-hmm. and then "What If Money Were No Object?" is just a snippet of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a fifty-minute lecture. Oh, I got you. So yeah, so it was a lecture. So the reason why I think it was a good idea, or I thought it was a good idea to talk about it, was if you were to ask me that question, maybe like let's say ten years ago, I would have given you that answer to feel like I'm fully control or in control of my life. To feel like let's say everything in terms of kind of financial success. Um, interpersonal success right that that was all sort of fully within my grasp but now that I think about it right like what would I do if let's say and just and another kind of precursor right the purpose of the lecture was to essentially ask his audience or kind of the listener obviously at home was to say okay if let's say you were to have a million dollars right what your values are what's pretty much important to you in life if let's say you didn't have to kind of sustain it so for for me right at that time if let's say you were to ask me about a decade ago i would have said yeah definitely power right sort of the ability to do whatever i want right in the way in the ways that i wanted so in a way even when let's say even if like let's say Technically speaking, I think maybe that's still even kind of implied because if, let's say, money were no object, I mean, in a sense, you do kind of have power, right? Because you pretty much get to control your life. But then I guess the idea is that it's not necessarily at the forefront of your desires. So, I mean, to, you know, I, this is a really roundabout way of answering your question. But to answer your question in terms of, like, what's valuable to me, I would say not necessarily power over, let's say, even my environment. But what I would pretty much do is kind of figure out a way to help my, make my relationships better. So, obviously, on top of kind of like reading and um you know kind of doing my own writing which obviously we'll focus on because that is the point of the show but then i also kind of work on making my relationships better and sort of fostering the things that i haven't been able to as let's say i was going through school as kind of i was building up you know my practice and i was doing these things that really took up so much time yeah so 100 percent. by the way yeah like relationships are um, really important it's not something that you can just um, accumulate in the same way that you accumulate wealth mm-hmm. and power. Um, one thing I noticed the, is that the reason that he decided to talk about this in his lecture is that he, at the time, had many uh, students come up to him and ask him. Uh, you know, they were getting ready to be done with college. They didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked them, "What would you? What would you really want to do?" Because mm-hmm. um, in their minds, they're thinking they need to think in terms of practicality, mm. right? They need to get a job where they earn well, uh, something that uh, gives them a sort of status and um, something that'll just make them their identity stronger, their character stronger in the world. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that, according to him, it's not a great way to go about things mm-hmm. because, again, it goes back to trying to gain power mm-hmm. in order to in order to have a satisfying life mm-hmm. but the reason why I asked what would you really do if money were no object is what is what's truly your passion what would you yeah. truly like to do mm-hmm. and I mean if I if I had to answer that it would be this yeah this podcast. podcast yeah yeah mm-hmm. um, also I mean at once upon a time my answer would have been um, Ego ends now, mm-hmm. and try to develop that. All my time would be to that. Right. Um, but I would answer this now, and also I believe that at some point. But that's a different conversation. We'll explore that mm-hmm. different point. Yeah. But yeah, um, 
because what's great is I feel that by talking about uh, men, without us talking about uh, certain concepts in psychology, uh, talking about uh, life in general, philosophy, um, everything, uh, love, girl, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. every all everything. Like, uh, and I'm sure we're gonna talk about more things. Mm-hmm. So there's gonna be a huge range. But the thing is um, that yeah, so, something about that is uh, you get to talk about what you you learned. A little insights that maybe you had mm-hmm. and since we're on the internet right and I've said this before it's great because the reach you can have is fantastic right. so that's in line with something I really want to do if I could do just this and a few other activities and not necessarily the day job that I have mm-hmm. I would I do like my day job I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't like it because I did listen to watts once upon a time Mm -hmm. and you really should have a good relationship with what it is that you do during the day so you have a an eight hour uh day uh so 40 hour work week let's say Mm -hmm. if you do that's most of your that's that's a lot of your time Mm -hmm. so if you're not enjoying that time it's not a great existence and if that's most of your existence uh spent working you don't no, you should be doing something that you really like to do. Yeah. And you, well, I was going to ask, so I wonder, so like for me, so let's say obviously if, you know, kind of I didn't have to work and that is a kind of topic I want to just sort of set aside for a minute, but let's say for me, right? So let's say the interpersonal relationships are, let you know, again, from my perspective, the most important. So like, even when I talk about writing and reading, technically speaking, that's the way I, or a means of connecting with other people. So it's like when people read my writing or let's say when even people listen to our podcast, right? They pretty much, they connect with us on some level and hopefully we get feedback and people say, Hey, you know, I really understand what you guys are going through because I went through that myself and I actually now feel understood and, you know, thank you so much for putting this out. And then we can kind of open up a dialogue with all of these different people. And so I wonder for you if let's say... You know, kind of on the surface, the idea is if I had, you know, a million or billion, whatever dollars, right, I'd work on the podcast. But sort of if you dig deeper, the real aim is really an interpersonal one where you're focused on kind of building a, a wider network or a wider community of people through our podcast. I would say that. Okay. Yeah. Why? No, because, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just that you, yeah, of course, uh, I would want, for instance, like, again, one of the biggest epiphanies I ever had mm-hmm. was in relation to learning about um, ego in, again, with that working definition that's used in uh, Power of Now. Right. And I just thought, okay, if, uh, if I could relate that epiphany mm-hmm. uh, or just in general how important it is to uh, be present into the moment or rather um, full concentration what's happening now not with your attention being uh, held in the past or in the future Um, I kind of liked that the way this epiphany changed uh, me Mm -hmm. I I was hoping that maybe maybe it would resonate with somebody else Mm -hmm. and they could know about it I didn't care necessarily if they read specifically Power of Now I didn't care if they used the same definition. Mm-hmm. I just was more, I, I really cared that um, hopefully someone would resonate with one of the ways I might put something. Yeah. And then hopefully they find their own answer mm-hmm. or maybe just like a different book right. or a different show or, or podcast or whatever mm-hmm. that just leads them to that realization because that's the main thing I really care about. Like, uh, for instance, before we did the podcast, I actually didn't care about whether I was, uh, I, I didn't mind being anonymous and still establishing something that created sort of a network or a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Um, but I think it is actually an effective way to, yeah. to when you're expressing yourself and it's, you know, maybe somebody might like you and then they listen to what you're saying mm-hmm. and then maybe they try it out and then see how it works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more personal and maybe that's a better way to get them to do it yeah. as opposed to something that's um, just showing videos or memes or something like that. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's important to you to feel important to other people. Um, I know actually it really didn't feel that way mm-hmm. or it's still it's hilarious, actually. I would prefer to be anonymous. Mm, okay. Actually. Well, okay. So n- let me kind of rephrase. So I don't mean important in the sense of like popular, like everybody's like, oh, I like Alan Allman. But I mean, like, even if let's say you're <laughs> right, even if you're anonymous, the point is that let's say anonymous, right? Person X is important to me because person X taught me this particular thing that really sort of resonated with me and might have even changed my life. So for you, I'm assuming that's kind of the connection that you'd want, even if it's not necessary, if, even if it's a faceless or one or one without a personality that just knowing that in some way that you are important to this person. I, I like, I would definitely appreciate something like that as a symptom mm-hmm. of the main goal of just spreading the information out there. Mm-hmm. So... I would definitely appreciate something like that, but it's definitely, or at least on the, whatever I can think of right now, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like that's part of it, mm-hmm. but it may, there may be that somewhere underneath. Yeah. I mean, my, my sort of theory, and this is pretty much a hypothesis at this point, based on obviously anecdotal information. I think that the vast majority of what we do is literally to form connections and to have sort of intimacy, obviously, and to feel important to other people. So like, um, what's a good example of this? So like creativity, right? So technically speaking, right? I mean, obviously, they're the accolades of kind of whatever they are, of being like a writer, right? For most, obviously, it's not that simple. Um, but even though, like, let's say for a person who's writing, right, a lot of their goals are individualist. So even for them, most of the time, if you were to ask them what the most important thing of, or the most important aspect of their writing is, it's not necessarily the prize or whatever. It's not necessarily even the kind of applause of like, hey, wow, really good job. Oh, this is a, oh man. Okay. This is a great, so Tupac, right? So this is like, oh man, I'm so happy that I kind of came up with this thought. So when Pac, when he was asked, right, like, what is it that's so important about your music, right? Which is obviously similar to writing and obviously it is writing. So when they asked him, they said like, what is it that like, what do you get from? Like, what do you, why do you like it so much? And he said, look, I don't write the music for the people that's like, you know, for the person that's bumping my music, right? For like whatever time being as it's popular and then throws it away, right? So he says, I'm really literally writing it for the kid who feels like he's living a thug life and it's hopeless. So for that person, the first person, right? He'll kind of pick it up and he'll say, oh, that sounds really good, right? And they'll kind of, they'll rock it and they'll kind of listen to it for some time, but then they'll drop it, right? Because it's not meaningful to them. But for that kid, it is. And for that kid, which for me, it was me. And I I think I said this probably in a prior like an episode, right? So for Pac, the idea was that this music was a way for him to unite or to feel connected to other people. And so interestingly enough, he actually struggled with loneliness and depression for the vast majority of his life. And so for me, right, whereas I kind of use my writing to connect with other people, for him, he used his music. And it's so interesting, I think, that like, I don't know what the connection or so, or let's say the correlation is like between um, people who struggle with depression and loneliness and creative types. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, the thing that makes creativity so important for me is like don't get me wrong i love the praise right i mean that's i'm not even gonna lie so that's a great part of it but the thing that i love most is when somebody will write me a detailed comment like literally kind of in pointing out like word for word what it is about my writing that impacted them or they'll say this particular thing you said resonated with me so much and i felt like oh my god i'm not alone and somebody else is having these experiences like that actually blows me away way 
more than, you know, kind of like, oh, wow, you like this is well written or you did such a good job. And I think that for most people, and I, that's why I asked you about the podcast, was that for a lot of us, the real sort of the core, the core goal of, let's say, creativity or of, let's say, even some sort of other passionate endeavor is literally interpersonal, where we find a way to unite with other people. Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, mm-hmm. that uh, philosophy teacher mm-hmm. who happens to be a friend of Jamie's, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, um, yeah, the, she wanted to use an episode of our uh, oh, podcast with it was Jamie. A it was a key. It was a key. It was a key. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Pardon. <laughs> it's okay. Respect. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah sure. But yeah, the, when I saw that and he wanted to use it for his philosophy class, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I understand, of course. Yeah, it's uh, mainly because... Uh, it's uh, Jamie discussing misogyny and um, uh, <clears throat> and what she discussed in the podcast, and absolutely. However, it, it is it feels kind of like a compliment. It's kind of cool. It's like you show a whole philosophy class somebody's podcast mm-hmm. and, or your podcast, and you're, yeah, it feels cool. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> so it's nice to see things like that. Yeah, sure. definitely. Um, f- since you mentioned writing mm-hmm. before. Um, one thing that Alan Watts talked about in that video is say somebody was passionate about writing mm-hmm. and they wanted that to be their job. Now, of course, uh, he had said it, and this was true in the late 60s, early 70s when he had delivered this lecture mm-hmm. as it is today. It's not very easy to make a lot of, to make money writing. It is possible. Yeah, yeah he said It that. is definitely mm-hmm. possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but what he wanted, what he assured his, um, students or at least the people he's lecturing i'm not sure if they were all students Mm -hmm. depends if this was a seminar or not but what he had said to them is anything if you become a master at something Mm -hmm. anything that you could become a master of is definitely valuable and something that you can actually make money from Mm -hmm. i definitely agree with that if you actually hone your craft to the point even if it's even if it's something like um ASMR, for instance, if somebody got really good at that, mm-hmm. you could definitely make money on the internet doing that. I've definitely seen examples of it. Mm-hmm. There's people with millions of views and oh, from, through advertisement. And yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, millions of views, and so they'll do an ad. And so ad companies will be attracted to yeah. them. Mm-hmm. They'll do the ad the on the episode, and this person will make money. Mm-hmm. And that's fantastic, and that's because they're doing something that they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And it depends. For everyone, the passion is different. Yeah. And what Watts says is when you're undertaking this passion that you have for the first time, mm-hmm. what he's saying is don't worry about the money and continue to do your passion. And, and, and then and become really good at it and attempt at every possible point to yeah. make that into your work. However, I will say, uh, just as my own addition to that is... Um, okay, so I think practicality is important. Mm-hmm. I think that if you need to survive and pay the bills or you have something going on in your family, you need to support them, all that, yep. um, it's very tough to say to that person, mm-hmm. don't worry about the money of course, and, and do your passion. However, if, if you are somebody who is in that position... What I might say is to do the work that you're supposed to do to make money while while you need money and then carve out as much time as possible to do whatever your passion is. Mm-hmm. 
I understand that, yes, you're not putting 100% of your focus on your passion. And, and, and divided attention means divided resources, mm. basically. Mm -hmm. But still, I mean, you, ha you have to see in your own life how, um, how this could apply to you. If, if, if someone who's listening is actually in the fortunate position where they may not, they're young enough where they don't have to work at the moment, like mm -hmm. their concern is uh, college, let's say at the moment, mm -hmm. and they actually might have some kind of situation where maybe they're with their parents or it's just for some reason they don't have to work for mm -hmm. whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Okay, fantastic. Then I would say really with as much of your time as possible besides working on school mm -hmm. to focus on your passion, these are the those are going to be the greatest years to work on. Also, the earlier, the better. Yeah, um, yeah because uh, if anyone... If you're familiar with that, Malcolm Gladwell, obviously, yeah. Yes, I read Outliers. Okay, mm -hmm. so... And, and the 10,000 hour... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, which is actually bunk, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. I Yeah, I understand. Yeah. That. I mean, if, if you... When you become a master at something, mm -hmm. it might not be restricted to that 10,000. Yeah, and you know what it is? It's just that, and so let me, okay, let me kind of qualify this. So it's not that it's bonk, but you actually have to have the talent for it. So that's the thing that he doesn't talk about, where he pretty much says, like, states that, like, if you just pretty much try, like, anybody can do it. As long as you have the time and the effort, like, you're just going to become a ma It's not true. And there are plenty of people who have tried, and they still haven't been good at whatever it was that they were attempting. Fair enough, yeah. but you could definitely be tremendously better than yeah. when you started right definitely but it yeah. doesn't necessarily talented like a master master like you're right. talking like a real yeah because that's that's what he person. actually implied in his book if not stated it directly where he said like yeah anybody could do this and it's like mm, no fair enough but i could definitely at least say after ten thousand hours of doing yeah. doing something you would be better at it yeah yeah 100 yeah, percent. tremendously better mm -hmm. okay yeah. Yeah, you, yeah not a not like um somebody like let's say an artist right maybe you're still not a great artist but you're you know, you're better you're better but you know you what i graduated from stick figures to <laughs> yes uh, <laughs> to <yeah>. ovals <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what was it that i wanted to ask you um oh, damn now i lost it it was shit what would i do if uh, money were an object no, I already... No, we that. technically started... But, I mean, I did want to go back to that, but there was something else I wanted to say in regard to... Um, before. What did we say before the Gladwell quote? The 10,000 hours. Oh, my God. Uh, I feel bad because anyone's listening to like, dead air? Yeah. <laughs> Are they thinking right now? No, sometimes thinking is... No, that's good. No, no I don't um, remember what it was. Damn, but I thought it was so important, too. In terms of... Not the work itself. Right. Oh, yes, I remember. Okay, so do you think that it's possible or do you think that it makes it more likely that actually the person who is working, like the person, let's say, who's splitting their time, right? Not even, maybe not 50-50, maybe even, let's say, 70-30. So the person who does like very little amount of creativity and sort of very little amount of, let's say, you know, kind of working in terms of like um, honing their skill. Do you think that it's possible that maybe that person has more motivation and more drive to succeed just seeing the discrepancy in their life or lives? They would definitely have more motivation. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, sorry. In many cases, they would have more motivation because you're you're really trying to do the th the thing that you're doing seventy percent. Mm -hmm. You want that to be the thing that yes, you're, mm -hmm. you, you want to switch that yeah, around. Yeah, uh -huh. You want to do your passion probably seventy percent. Right. So I'm sure there's a drive there where you work really hard on that thirty percent, mm -hmm. and the, yeah, the goal is to get that to 
you'd be a hundred percent. Yeah, because I mean, for for lack of better way of putting it, what a simplistic way of putting it. But yes, yeah, yeah. it is what it is. Because like I mean, and this is not necessarily. God, I'm gonna say this, and I don't mean to go there. This is not a political comment, and we are not going into politics from this. We're gonna talk about <laughs> politics right now, guys. I've done this before. So interestingly enough, uh, James Hetfield, the lead singer of Metallica. So I think they're Swedish or they're from Denmark. I don't remember from where, right? But they're from one of these sort of like, um, technically not socialists, right? But sort of very kind of um, uh, highly subsidized countries, right? Where pretty much the people are sustained, you know, pretty much well by their governments. So he said, essentially, he said like for us, right? Obviously, it's Metallica starting off like in Denmark or Sweden, wherever. He's like, we technically didn't have that much of a drive. He's like, because for us, we always knew that we'd be taken care of, right? There was this very, like this tremendous safety net that this country had. So for him, he said, only until we came to America, right, that we understand what it meant to sort of be motivated to succeed and to be motivated to be the best kind of version of the band that you can be or the best version of yourself as a singer that you can be. Hmm. So for him, he's like, when you kind of know that that safety net is there, he's, and I don't think like he meant this as an attack on like socialism or anything. I think his point was like, this is my experience. But for him, he said, like, if, I, if there's like really no contrast between what I'm capable of and let's say what a terrible life can look like, then the thing that I'm capable of, I'm not necessarily going to try to foster because you know i feel sort of safe and comfortable and i'm like nah, maybe individual success isn't that important whereas when he came when they all came to the states they're like no 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 we have to make this happen because like we'll be bums here if not i can definitely relate to that mm-hmm. because um when i was younger and i definitely had all that free time mm-hmm. in the world um i still even though i understood like i had listened to watts mm-hmm. in my early 20s that was the best time to try to do something right there but i was too much in my own comfort zone yeah i had read the power of now then i had read i had read a bunch of self-help books i had checked out a bunch of seminars and on uh, youtube and even went to some personally mm-hmm. and yes there was growth with that and i did they did help but it's but it, what's hilarious is even with all of that, even trying to make a conscious effort with all that free time and all that comfort and the safety net, yeah. there were certain, uh, <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it, psychological forces. <laughs> dark, <laughs> okay, Mary, dark psychological yeah. forces. <laughs> no, no, but no, what's interesting is like, I just didn't um, have a d- discipline. Oh, the drive. Or the drive. Right, because, yeah. I I didn't have enough adversity. Or, no, actually, I did have adversity, but not the kind that, let's say, uh, James Hetfield might have experienced, where he's, they've traveled to America, I'm sure they have, maybe they need to play this road gig so they can have money, so that they can eat Eat and and then go to the next road so they can eat again so they can eat again (laughs) yes yeah by the way interesting fact about metallic i'm just gonna shift to that Mm. they nowadays Mm -hmm. they actually practice 40 minutes of songs when they meet up prior to doing a show they'll actually do all the songs that they were supposed to do for the show Mm -hmm. before the show because they all have lives and they don't meet up the way they used (laughs) to to practice Mm -hmm. yeah so i thought that was interesting it's kind of professional Mm -hmm. what kind of it is professional that's really cool yeah Mm -hmm. that's just a random fact but yeah um back to the video though um there to to do to do what you really uh to what you really to do what you really want to desi- what you really desire right. to do what you really desire is like one of the the best things that 
to, that you can do in life. How do I put that? How right. else can I put that? It's like, um, if for instance, one of the grand experiences somebody might experience in their life is something like along the lines of ego death, let's mm. say, right? Mm -hmm. I would say another grand experience that or a journey that someone could undertake mm -hmm. in life in general mm -hmm. is to pursue what it is that is your calling, what you feel is your calling. Mm -hmm. If uh, oh, I gotta, I want to ask you this: What would you suggest to somebody who does not actually know what their calling is? Because I experienced that even after first hearing this. Because when I first heard this, mm -hmm. I was saying to myself. Yeah, but I don't know fully what I want to do. Yep. Uh, what What do you think? What are your values? That's what I would ask. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing. So in terms of like knowing or picking a career early, especially like when you're 18 to 20, which is like crazy for me that these kids... This is another conversation. Like, But the point is that it's crazy to me that kids like not only have to pick majors in college, but also have to get into a ton of debt when they're 18 years old and have no idea what the fuck they're doing. I've never spoken to an actual counselor. And I hate to say this, but a lot of guidance counselors in high schools are not actual guidance counselors. They're kind of just like, yeah, whatever, just do what you like. So, but to answer your question, it's essentially to focus on what your values are. So when it comes to particular careers, it's not so easy to just pick something out, obviously. And it's also not so easy to sort of figure out what you like, because sometimes people just genuinely don't know what their desires are. And I think that's an important topic too in itself. And so for the people who are sort of trying to figure out what their careers are, I would literally focus on what your values are. So let's say maybe being important to other people is one of your values, right? Being sort of an important part of your community, being helpful, right? Sort of... Um, uh, let's say achieving certain things right and maybe sort of if we narrow it down in terms of like fields let's say in this case a kid would like so oh I really feel good when I solve math problems right or I feel really good when I kind of find the answer to let's say some sort of um, what are they called uh, like they give these on law exams like those um, kind of uh, logic questions yeah 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 right there you go that you. Yeah, yeah 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 so it's like I feel good like solving or resolving some sort of puzzle right or some sort of logic conundrum or logical conundrum and so so for those people, right, as we kind of narrow it down, we figure out, okay, so your values are obviously sort of intellect, right? You feel like it's important to be a problem solver, you know, helpfulness, right, to be important within your community and to sort of contribute something significant. And then from that, we kind of narrow it down to careers. So we sort of, we start from the foundation of values and then we figure out which sort of careers, let's say, um, manifest them or allow you to manifest those values. And then from there, it would kind of obviously be unfortunately a crapshoot where it's like, okay, so let's say what's the most likely one and out of, or the likely ones and out of the ones that are most likely that let's say that you are able to um let's say to enter whichever fields mm -hmm. then it's kind of like okay i mean now just pick one right sort of pick whichever one you think would be the best so one. would you suggest like say there's a few things that might go with their value set mm -hmm. maybe just to try a few things and see how you yeah that, that's yeah. it because it's so it's really really hard so it's kind of a myth right so and obviously this goes into the new age movement and kind of like spirituality of finding yourself right or finding your passion it's like um then finding your calling by the way that's another myth and so the reason why so many people struggle when it comes to like let's say careers when it comes to um, let's say identity issues is because they actually believe that they have to find what's right for them like their purpose and oh that's another thing People struggle with meaning. I don't know what my meaning is. Nobody knows what their meaning is because there's intrinsically speaking no such thing as meaning, purpose, sort of calling, right? Yourself, technically speaking. So when we talk about finding, let's say, these things or these qualities of ourselves, we're not necessarily finding them, we're creating them. 
right? Mm -hmm. So you might find the foundation to them, right? Which is literally your values or your system of values, which honestly you can change too. But the point is that you can find the foundation to what you want to believe or rather what you want to be and what you want your purpose to be. But you actually, there's no such thing as a calling, right? Not in the sense of like, I was born to be a firefighter or I was born to be a psychiatrist or I was born to be a speaker, right? You might possess qualities that would make you a good firefighter and qualities that would make you a good speaker. And then if you kind of sift through your values, you realize, oh no, this actually something I'd want to do because if let's say I were a good speaker that means I'd be helpful in the community right I'd have a sort of a broad range of influence and then on top of that I would be sort of resolving problems because maybe let's say somebody in the audience would have a question for me and I would say oh now I have to sort of use my logical brain right and sort of resolve it or help them resolve it so if we talk about manifesting those qualities speaker or let's say being a public speaker in this case would be the way to do it or one of the ways to do it hmm. um, so do you think that terms like uh, find your passion, find yourself, um, things of that nature, are, or find your calling, yeah. I mean, do you really think it's a myth or do you think that exists for some reason? I think it's a misnomer. So what I mean by that is that essentially it's an erroneous way of framing it. So when you say finding your calling, technically what you mean is figure out what like career you like or what sort of profession works best for you. Or... Or do you think maybe, well, that I'm sure, but then also maybe figure out what your values are. Because sometimes people don't, like one thing I like about self-help specifically, why I still think to this day it, it is, uh, even with its reputation of being a lot of rah-rah and like a lot of, uh, you know, like, like all, a lot of energy, like a little physiology things. <laughs> one thing that's cool is a, a lot of self-help gets you to write down what it is that that you want to do or uh, or a lot of these things get you to do exercise like what would what do you want to do or what are your values what don't you like mm -hmm. uh, what kind or in relationships what kind of person are you interested in mm -hmm. uh, what kind of qualities should they have right. Alan Watts has a video where actually he said um, you know a lot of people like to imagine what how they want their partner to be, but they never imagine what their mother-in-law is going to be like, right? <laughs> and then I thought that was interesting too because, right, you, you don't know what her family is going to be like and all that. So maybe even to think about things like that and write down what you would like. Mm -hmm. And actually, what's interesting is, um, I'm not going to get too much into it, but just to stay on that, I noticed that when I did write down what I was looking for, that actually focused me more. There, I wouldn't then have my attention grabbed by every single attractive girl. Sometimes it would be like, uh, maybe it would be somebody, okay, say I value intelligence, right? Uh, I understand you can't pick up on that immediately, but for some reason I might be dialed in to sort of focus on someone who might yeah. look intelligent that to me. Cute. Is. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I understand that has to do with my uh, reticular activation system, the the things that I focus on, what I value, my beliefs. Well, also and all stereotypes, that. right? Because we sometimes think like if a person looks a particular way, yeah, right. If they have yeah. glasses. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. You know, I so, might think, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. But so, th but that's like an example. So maybe then instead of focusing on everyone, have my attention like taken control of all the time, as if like I didn't have control of it myself. By having focused what it is that I'm looking for, right. then those will be the times maybe my attention will be taken, or I'll just focus on that. Mm -hmm. And that's just one random thing. Yeah. Um, yes. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, values, right? Values. So in terms of Thank finding you. yourself, yeah. So I lost. <laughs> I hear you. <laughs> I do too. So in terms of like finding yourself, I think that's what people really, if not should, if not if not what they mean, that's what they should mean. So when we talk about like finding your passion or finding whatever drives you to be your best self or finding yourself, I think what they literally mean is finding or not finding. I hate, I really don't like that term just because it's it's not really finding, right? But I guess maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is. It's a discovery of your values. I can I can argue how finding yourself actually has some kind of credibility sure. to it say say somebody's coming from a life lived inauthentically mm-hmm. they're living based on other people's values not their own mm-hmm. maybe to fit in they'll um, act out certain um, st- certain personality quirks or or something like that just to fit in but it's not how they really feel or something right. like that. but then they learn about a term like authenticity Mm -hmm. and it's the first time they ever heard that term in their life Mm -hmm. for someone who's heard that for the first time in their life and then they're explained what it is maybe that starts to make it so basically what you do is you you almost unlearn all these things that you're doing just to fit in or just things that aren't what you would have decided yourself or conditioning and maybe then you do what you when once you learn about that you figure out what it is you would really want to do you know what i wonder so and this is a question for you so this is what i was thinking like i think maybe 20 minutes ago when we were talking so karl marx has a concept called alienation so it was technically meant for the industrial kind of um the industrial period at the time when it was sort of being uh whatever uh what's the word like fomented essentially when it was in its inception kind of beginning stages so for marx right he said essentially what makes like work so terrible for most people for all people at that time was essentially the fact that they were disconnected from whatever they were creating and they were disconnected from one another so people in the factory right um this is by the way just like as a quick kind of aside guys you should see um, this documentary called american factory on netflix one of the best documentaries i've ever seen like really amazing because like what these sort of owners do is they really want like people in these factories to not talk to each other at all it's crazy Mm -hmm. like they want no communication like no communication kills productivity they need to just do what they're doing because that's what i'm paying them for right so my question to you is right so with Karl Marx who had this concept of alienation which we really see in so many different places and work environments where people not only feel disconnected from their work right because essentially they're just kind of pushing buttons right or just sort of pretty much logging things or doing things that are not necessarily manifestations of their authentic selves so if let's say and and kind of kind of conversely right because of the work culture we're essentially we're playing roles right for the most part while you're at work you're not really your authentic self maybe to some small degree you can kind of say a joke or something here or there but for the most part we're kind of in our heads of like oh my god i gotta say the right thing how am i being perceived right now is this affecting me are my bosses thinking how well or highly of me right what's going on with other people so in that in that kind of concept or in that respect a lot of times in where i work right we're feeling so disconnected from our environments right and so when it comes to like let's say the work environment and when you said before like mm, you know i'm not so sure if i'd still want to work or like you know maybe not in that capacity some other capacity I wonder for you, right? So let's say if you had, you know, a billion dollars and you wouldn't have to work, do you think that that would be kind of the underlying reason for it? Is because a lot of times at work, maybe you feel like just not in your particular job as, you know, in itself, but I mean, just as work, just the American work culture as it is, do you feel like it's because that most of the time, for 40 hours a week, we really feel so disconnected from not only our work, but from the people around us there? That's definitely the main issue with a lot of people yeah. in the workforce. 
there are some people who are lucky to do to work at somewhere where that's satisfying to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it could also still not be their most their, their passion, let's say, but it still can be something that they enjoy. Yeah. But yeah, for the people that experience a real disconnect between them and their work, it's like a waste. It's not a waste of time. You are making money, but it's strange because that's living in a sort of miserable existence. Mm-hmm. And then there's a few ways to deal with that. Um, well, first, well, first of all, sorry, just to answer what you were saying, if I had a billion dollars, mm-hmm. I, I was going to say some, something outrageous. Okay. No, no, no. no, if I have a, a billion dollars... Mm-hmm. Um, still like, yeah, I would be working on stuff like this. Mm-hmm. I, I would still work. Right. It's not that I wouldn't want to work. Also, I, I did see, I've had uh, periods of joblessness mm-hmm. where it's not been fun at all. Like maybe for the first month mm-hmm. and I was into video games <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you catch up on all the shows that everyone's had <laughs> to watch that you have no time to watch. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. But what will happen is without having something to concentrate on, without having, let's say, a quote-unquote purpose or a mission or something that you're working on, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you'll just be disconnected from your day-to-day mm-hmm. as well. I, I, at least I experienced that. Okay. You feel kind of alienated from your even environment on your own. It's also weird. Yeah, say mm-hmm. I was at home all the time. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I had a bunch of free time, but I was pretty much like a hermit. Mm-hmm. So anytime I did go outside, it's actually kind of weird. It felt weird to interact with people. Mm-hmm. I'm not even kidding. I, I, I mean, sometimes... <laughs> World? Was, is that you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like that. I'd come out. It's The sun is like... I opened the... It was also dark. Mm. all the time mm. in my house so i would open up <laughs> wow. the, like the shades and then like the sun is coming through and i'm like yeah. but uh but yeah uh, and i found ways around that too actually in some ways i was uh, having a period of isolation was actually very good yeah um it also got me in touch with like who i am what i really think mm-hmm. not having too many outside influences mm-hmm. so actually in that respect sometimes that was good mm-hmm. But for too long, it's not. It makes you kind of... It made me a little weird, yeah. so to speak. But yeah. Um, I, there are ways around feeling disengaged at work. One is if you learn about uh, things like flow state and how to uh, purposefully get into one. Have you ever read the important book, The Power of Now? <laughs> We have a meme. One day when we do our own memes, you're gonna see that one. There's yeah, one where I, like, have you ever read the power of now? I did something where my eyebrows yeah. up and I. The important book, the power of now. Yeah. Oh no, you said the popular book. Have you ever read the popular book, the power of now? By the way, uh-huh. we we really should. I'm gonna remember this. I'm gonna call call me Ishmael. Okay. And give that story. Oh, the Harry Potter one. Yeah, yeah. because. I thought about that even before doing this podcast today. Mm-hmm. I was like, how did I forget? And yeah. it's not from being like an asshole. It's just like, you just, that happens, I suppose. But I'll, I'll remember to do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that aside, um, yeah, one, learning to get uh, into fl- a flow state mm-hmm. and how to, how to do that. Um, I would also look into just in general being um, f- in focused in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, um, for instance... If I'm doing some kind of task that's, uh, let's say, even something as simple as data entry, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, I understand that I can be thinking about what am I going to be doing later or I can't wait till this is over or mm-hmm. something like that. Or I'm looking at the clock while I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. 
But one thing I noticed that works better is when you're actually fully engaged uh, with, the, with the typing. You're really paying attention to your fingers, hitting everything. You're paying attention to the data that's there on the screen. Mm -hmm. um, you uh, feel, you might pay attention to the feelings inside of your body, sensations, mm -hmm. all that. Um, then what happens is you actually kind of get into, a, a, you can argue that you already get into a flow state at that point. Because mm -hmm. what happens is you don't feel the time mm -hmm. as much because you're actually focused on doing the task. And if, if, for example, you could frame it in a way of what does this task really accomplish? Mm -hmm. For instance, um, I, I, I don't know. I think for legal, I don't know. I don't think I'm allowed to say where I work on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But let's say somebody is working, for example, at, um, let's say, just as an example, an insurance company or something like that. Let's say health insurance or something. Mm -hmm. And they framed it as any of the actions that they're taking at work mm -hmm. actually... Uh, in some connected way, uh, either helps the company exist so that it can help uh, people health insurance wise, mm -hmm. or say you're actually helping people in with something related to their health insurance. You're actually doing a service, making sure that their health continues and all that. Right. Um, things of that nature. If you could frame how your work might impact uh, things on a on a on a higher level, mm -hmm. that could be interesting. Yeah. Um, Depends. It is very dependent. If somebody's even uh, doing uh, garbage, like disposal, like just, um, and they're maybe maybe they maybe they like their job, but say like somebody was in a case where they don't like the job, right? Mm -hmm. Well, technically, what you're doing is you're cleaning up the environment. You're making sure that everyone has a, a clean setting. Mm -hmm. You you could frame it in all kinds of ways. That's just a strange example. Yeah. I'm sure. There's no, other actually, ones. I like that. I mean yeah, if you're working at McDonald's, mm -hmm. and I understand the, the, the that's not a great, uh, it doesn't have a, like a great um, stereotypical like, like there's no like a there's lot no, of people yeah there's no status right? like a lot of people don't associate status with it, mm -hmm. but I respect it anyway. If somebody's trying to work at McDonald's to pay for I don't know yeah. who knows, mm -hmm. but say that's what you're doing, then technically you're you might be doing a service by you're providing food for people and they need sustenance and that person's trying to do some other task in their life and do something and you're mm -hmm. by doing that they can do whatever it is that they uh are set out to do as well and th there's different ways to frame you know, these jobs that people think generally might not have a lot of meaning let's see i've seen the bigger picture now and yep. it's interesting do you notice sort of the underlying theme of all of them it's in service to people yeah yeah. yeah connectivity right that's and that's what i think for us like for again back to me because i was obviously the, the person answering but like i think for me and even i think for other people that like if you were to ask them what would you do let's say if you had whatever billion million dollars a lot of them would say something interpersonal they would sort of figure out a way to become more important in their community or more important sort of in their sphere of influence for the people who are already important in their lives i think man a lot of what we do just like or at least a lot of what we strive toward in one way or another even if if it's veiled is intimacy yeah mm -hmm. yeah even somebody who you know one thing uh this is an interesting topic mm. oh my god actually if we could talk about this next time mm. uh people who think uh that they're doing the uh, how should i put this people who think they're right mm -hmm. but maybe they commit an evil act mm. but they think they're it's uh, it's weird like for example say somebody is like uh robbing somebody mm-hmm and what they're trying to do is uh, 
uh, in their mind, they're trying to get money for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to... Who knows? Maybe they have a family as well. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, and in their mind, what they're trying to accomplish is also, in a strange way, something interpersonal or some kind of status or some kind of... Mm -hmm. uh, something relative to other people, but it's still in kind of a community kind of coming from that community mindset right. uh, um, or actually what I really wanted to say is because that almost confused me as I was saying that right. uh, this is my point but another point is sometimes mm, like anyone even doing an evil act they think they're correct right for some reason from their perspective mm -hmm. they think or they think they're good mm -hmm. or something for some reason yeah um, I find that very interesting because, mm, damn, this is probably why I want to talk about it next time. Because mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to see what's going on there. Oh, because, yeah, it's a lengthy yeah, topic. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lengthy topic. Um, yeah, a lot of rationalization and all that. Okay, mm -hmm. never mind. Back to the main topic. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Back to the main topic. Or our future episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, him saying to... to uh, to do what it is that you're passionate about and not worry about the money. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I respect that idea because that, especially coming from him, mm -hmm. that's actually very reassuring because one thing that's good is say somebody tried something, what they're passionate about for the first time, mm -hmm. but it wasn't successful or it's, or it's not making them any money right away. Mm -hmm. If you do take from what he said that once you become a master at it, mm -hmm. anything that be you could become a master of, you can kind of turn into something that you can sort of sell. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating to me because that could give encouragement for people to, let's say they, they are trying to do their passion, but they're not making any money. Mm -hmm. Just keep to keep going mm -hmm. and still keep in mind practical things that you can do to make money mean, meantime. Um so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate that, that it, it gives you the courage to continue yep. to get better at something, even if you're not fantastic at it. Yep. Uh, say this podcast, for instance, we're a million times better than when we first started, mm -hmm. but I don't know relative to, uh, uh, and you shouldn't be comparing yourself, but, but just technically, for, technically yeah. yeah, technically compared to somebody at the level of a Joe Rogan, for Which instance. I honestly, I think he's like a normal dude and he I is a normal yeah. dude. But the thing is, there are things. So, but he has had over a thousand episodes right. of of podcast experience, mm -hmm. talking to people of various different statuses, learning to be very calm mm -hmm. in that in all those instances, uh, or as time goes on, getting calmer, building up, also knowing like what kind of questions to ask. Mm -hmm. He may not have a structure. He really may be going off the top of his head most of the time. Mm -hmm. But there, I'm sure he did learn things about interviewing. Hmm. that could have been that as he did it are very useful say he had a guest who actually wasn't contributing much right. i'm sure he would know how to mm -hmm. talk to them in order so that they could open up yeah or let's say they have a guest who's talking a lot hmm. but he can't get a word in edgewise he's learned how to deal with that and things like that mm -hmm. um but what i want to say is what's encouraging about uh, watts is for instance for us is 
the more we do it, the more we're consistent at it, the better it'll be. Yeah. And also, I still, I actually, as we're doing this conversation, I actually like this conversation. I almost have the feeling of after we're done with mm. this one, where I'm going to be like, that was a really good episode, actually. Because <laughs> it feels like there's this yeah yeah back and forth flow and all that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So I wonder, it's a, another question Thank for you. you. <laughs> You're welcome. No, for real, because... That was it? That's all you... Yeah, yeah I was um, nearing the end of my statement. I was like, please say something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my question is going to be, in terms of like his idea of... Um, so, right, we're talking about it in terms of if it was real or if it were real, right? So, if, let's say, somebody who had, I don't know, all of the time in the world, or let's say somebody should really lead their lives or lead their life as though they had all of the sort of resources or time in the world, right? But I wonder, like, for you... What do you think like Alan Watts was getting at there? Like, do you think that he was being metaphorical, that it was more of a way for him to kind of prod people to really figure out how to live their lives in the best possible way? Or do you think like he was actually being like literal and saying like, no, 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 like drop everything, go figure out what your passion is? I don't think he said, well, I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle there with that one. Because mm-hmm. um, for instance, he, ref- he uses an example. Say you like riding horses. Yes. Would you like to teach at a riding school? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a very practical mm-hmm. answer, right? It's not like saying uh, you have to create your own horse riding school or a farm. Or I, I'm not certain the particulars of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think he was mixing practicality with how to use what you really desire. Um, to live in in the world. Yeah. So yes, he did mention things like somebody who wants to be a writer, which mm-hmm. sounds like more difficult to make money. With oh that. yeah. However, if uh, but the horse example sounded like more practical, mm-hmm, that's right? True. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is what he seems to be really saying is find a way for your passion to resonate with the world that you live in. Mm-hmm. Try to see how you can um combine the two Mm -hmm. um but i don't think he would disagree with somebody making their own thing Mm -hmm. whatever that might be yeah that being said though um him offering that example was practical enough that it didn't feel like he was coming from a place where he's like, no, you need to drop everything Mm -hmm. and just only pursue your passion, go a hundred percent. Cause I I feel like that could also be, if it was taken that way, that can be, um, harmful advice for Mm -hmm. some, for some, that could be amazing advice for some, like tremendous. You changed my life. Now I'm rich. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But then at the same time, yeah. somebody could take that and then all the opportunities they might have had to pursue something more practical yeah. so so that they can at least handle the, their basic necessities. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they wouldn't do that and they, they could self-sap, they could ruin their life, you yeah. know, all because of some kind of advice that uh, was looked at from one perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually happy that we're breaking it down because... Um, for instance, uh, and actually, this is my fault. For again, power of now. When I first read it, <laughs> that popular book. <laughs> you heard the popular book. No, so the, the first time that I read it, uh-huh. I yes, it caused a tremendous change in me. Yes, I, I learned to not 
think so to pay attention not think so much mm-hmm. a lot of things that i uh thought i needed to think for i could just intuit mm-hmm. and i didn't have to have such a mental dialogue in my mind i also didn't have to be so reactive to what people were doing i could just be aware of what they did mm-hmm. and just take appropriate action moving forward uh, say somebody did some kind of slight to me yes i could get angry at them or i could just take that slight as just okay that's a signal either interact less with them or or don't interact with them and don't necessarily have to feel this emotional charge and go with it. Okay, that was great. Mm-hmm. What was bad with something that some advice that I took was I thought that I had to remain in that um, thoughtless state all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the thing is, and it was cool to attempt to do that, and that was great practice for just being present to the moment in all kinds of situations. Sure. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I almost confused critical thinking, like brainstorming, mm-hmm. for the kind of thinking that he was warning against in the book. Oh, I got you. Instead of like, I threw out all thinking mm-hmm. instead of just the ruminating or... Which is technically not critical. Not in that respect. Not analytical, but literally just critical. Just critical. Yeah. yeah or things that felt so automatic. Like if I asked myself, would I truly think that? Mm-hmm. And then where the times where I'd answer no, mm-hmm. I kind of could tell that those were some of those automatic thoughts that would come in, like these auto, um, I like to call them impulse rationalizations. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not what it is in academia, mm-hmm. but I kind of, for some reason I like that because sometimes they come in fast, these automatic thoughts, and if you don't catch them, mm-hmm. you might actually run with them and create a whole story. Yeah. Whereas if you caught them, you might have interpreted a situation differently. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm happy we're breaking it down with Alan Watts because yeah, it, it can eliminate things like that happening mm-hmm. where yeah, you could end up wasting your time. Yeah, but you know what's so interesting though? I have to say, man, the people who do actually whatever, if you can view it that way, quote unquote, waste their time to me are like the most courageous and commendable. Like imagine spending like ten to whatever fifteen years just trying to become a comedian, and then like somewhere down the line, you're like, shit, this really isn't going where I wanted to. But you spent so much time doing it, and man, like I gotta say, because most people wouldn't do it, like that to me is amazing. Actually, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call that wasting time. No. I mean, what I meant by wasting time Mm -hmm. is when you take a, a, a piece of advice that might have been good Mm -hmm. but then interpret it wrong Mm -hmm. uh somebody who's a comedian for example comedians in general i hear that they're not even considered good Mm -hmm. in the comedy world or even amongst other comedians Mm -hmm. until you're there like 10 years at least which means 10 years almost of making no money Mm -hmm. that sounds rough Uh, and it doesn't mean that they were doing just that i've heard of comedians who have done uh uh, either waitressing or as a waiter or some other kind of side job as they do their thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not suggesting that they're not making money elsewhere, mm-hmm. but yeah, th- these are the. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah, and it really kind of begs the question. Well, his question of what is a meaningful life, and I think if I had to kind of my own sort of interpret to give my own interpretation symbolically, I think that's what he was really asking people to really figure out what the purpose of your existence is. What do you think? Definitely, mm-hmm. because. If again, if if your life is devoid of meaning and you're just living based on other people's values or on conditioning or what society tells you to be, yeah. yes, you can get short-term instant gratification from achieving certain status levels, but those are fleeting. There's no consistency to your own uh, self-esteem or your own 
relationship to life. You would keep needing something new to happen mm -hmm. in order to feel good about life in general. Yeah. Instead of having something that you're really passionate about as sort of this constant drive to to attain or or um, shoot towards. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> if you're not shooting towards something, mm -hmm. it's it's not fun. It, it, it may be at first um, you get certain achievements and, and you like them, but it, there's no uh, satisfaction. It's like that song by the Rolling Stones, Can't Get No Satisfaction. Mm -hmm. It's it's not going to be gotten from things. Yeah. It's going to be from your relationship to um, your life, to the people who you care about, to friends, family. Um, right. Isn't yeah. it amazing how like people get it or make those pitfalls? Like where literally they think that wealth and success or whatever, the way they define financial or well, technically the way they define success, which is financial, and that they think wealth and power are going to make them happy only to realize how awful it actually is when they have it. And you know what? This is also not a new kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I've heard this discussion, like this sort of talk for years now. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed, which is interesting is that there are people who have had these realizations mm -hmm. that you're not gonna, it's not from wealth and power that you're gonna be happy. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating is some people, after having uh, internalized that, mm -hmm. they, they're in the working world and at some point they forget what it is that they internalized at one point. Yeah. And they almost sometimes fall into a trap of thinking, um, no, no, I realize that uh, being present at a moment is important. I realize that meaning is outweighs everything and interpersonal relationships are the most important thing. Right. But then, then they're like, okay, now that I understand that, I'm going to come to these th things that I have to do practically with that attitude. Mm -hmm. But then that thing that they come to, it starts to have a sort of momentum to it mm -hmm. that eventually sometimes gets you trapped in thinking, oh, I do need this next promotion or I need this this other uh, piece of status connected to this uh, job and it kind of gets gets you to be a little myopic yeah and um so it's it's good to, so what what i would say is it's definitely good to be vigilant mm -hmm. because uh, but the main point is yes you won't find happiness through things yeah but always be vigilant so you don't get caught up in the trap of that because you yeah. might have realized at one point but you might forget at another right and just you know kind of for nuanced thinking sometimes people are actually really happy when they're wealthy and obviously kind of let's say they have high status and are wealthy but right the sort of the caveat there is that's only if they provide an important service for their community so if they use that money right so let's say open up a nonprofit, or they use that money to open up some other sort of type of organization the point is that kind of helps communities then it's okay because then they feel like they're significant that they matter again going back to intimacy right they feel the sort of close connection to people that people really care for them that their existence matters that's probably if we talk about kind of the foundation of joy i really think again my sort of assessment right doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. indicate sort of any universal truth but it could so is that somewhere in the middle or somewhere at the core the thing that makes us happy is literally that our existence matters that we are important not in any sort of cosmic sense where like yes we're going to affect the universe now is never going to happen most likely not even in a grand sense and people could even argue a grand sense isn't really 
really that important because it's not cosmic, but on a sort of communal level and on a local level, where at the least, right, where let's say at the people that you affect and the people that are, you're important to are essentially people who matter to you, people who you love. And so for me, the idea is that the core of joy or the core sense of sort of self-worth and self-esteem is that my existence matters, right? And that's tied into intimacy, that's tied into sort of service, right? Like we talked about, that's tied into purpose and meaning. And so if somebody is, let's say, has attained, um, let's say, even some, I don't know, moderate amount of wealth, and they're able to use that wealth in the service of some kind of global good. And by global, I just mean kind of, you know, communal, not necessarily global. Um, so for them, essentially, the kind of that goodness, right, or that sort of wealth can translate into a sense of happiness and the sense of it's indirect, right? So I think just to kind of, for again, nuance sake, or for the sake of divergent thinking, that for the people who essentially take that wealth, right, and think that directly is going to lead to happiness, never happens. But if that wealth, right, can sort of engender different projects and different kind of, let's say, I don't know, communal proposals or different sort of important influences, I guess you can say, that that indirectly then can affect your sense of joy because you're like, ooh, now I'm using this for some good and I'm important and my existence matters. 100%. Also, one thing that's uh, that actually I wanted to talk about um, maybe not here, but also for one of the shows, mm. is the that pers- you ever he- heard the perspective of like uh, a lot of rich people are bad, mm. like in general. Yeah. Like you, I've you probably I've probably even said it. But what's what's fascinating, and I'm sure there are a bunch mm-hmm. that are bad. But what's fascinating is, um, I think there's a lot of rich people who are really good as well. Yeah, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed is. Um, when somebody gets to a point when they meet all their needs, um, and it's somebody who has good intentions or in general a well-intentioned person, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is they their needs tend to they stop caring about their own needs and they start looking at the needs of others because everything with them is fine. Yeah. Um, unless so, you're, unless you're a pathological narcissist. Unless you're a pathological yeah, yeah. narcissist. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, but yeah, that's something actually, if you ever want to discuss in the future, that I think that would be cool because I, I think that there's a... Oh, I have something important to tell you. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah. What's, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think it would be good because um, these perspectives that we have of either the poor or the rich mm-hmm. is, it's it's like there's there's way more to it. And I sanitize them with nuance. Yeah. But I think it's important to highlight the... Uh, the reason why a lot of rich people give to charity and all that kind of stuff is because that they have met their own needs and uh, and purpose and purpose and, and uh, they now the like what they want to service is something beyond themselves. Also, a lot of uh, people who are um, poor and all that, um, from the perspective of the rich. Mm-hmm. Um, some rich people think that poor people uh, don't think on a higher level. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's a popular thing amongst uh, rich people. Right. Um, but then that's also wrong because, uh, and, and not even just thinking on a higher, just like just to put down the poor, like uh, as if um, like things like uh, they're lazy or they um, sh- uh, which we call it they don't they value short term thinking not long term thinking mm-hmm. and, da, 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 da. and I'm sure there's people like that mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like some some of the poorest people in the world are some of the happiest people in the world right. some like and not just that some of them are just some of the greatest people too yeah. it's not it's not like something that you want to value you want to like um, 
compare being poor to being rich mm-hmm. and why is it important in relation to what Alan Watts was talking about just to bring it back there is it's not always about making a whole bunch of money sometimes it's about doing something that's tremendously meaningful mm-hmm. it, it can do things for you that you, you would never imagine like the kind of people that you can meet mm-hmm. the kind of people that you can impact and what they would do with how you impacted them um and beyond even that mm-hmm those are their own rewards and also a lot of times it does actually end up leading to money Mm -hmm. but um to make that the goal um puts in place something that takes away from the creativity or in general from the the purpose Uh, because not everyone wants to do something creative Mm -hmm. yeah but what would you want to check this out so and i think this like fits with the point that we're saying that in terms of like so the rich people and kind of like sort of dividing them right so obviously there's some people who are like pathologically narcissistic and then there are some rich people who are let's say more beneficent right so obviously they kind of want to give so interestingly enough right so there was i don't remember so okay this came from a podcast so adam grant who's um this like pretty i guess in the field he's just really sort of notable industrial organizational psychologist so he was on sam harris's podcast right and he also did scott kaufman's podcast so i love this guy like phenomenal so he was talking about a study i don't remember who the authors were but so interestingly right so like um popular convention says something along the lines of so this is like famous lord byron quote right who it says um absolute power uh, power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely right so it's like the power itself is what corrupts the person and so interestingly enough we actually translate that over to wealth too of like oh you shouldn't have so much money because that's like corrupting right and there was something um i don't know if it was in the bible man wow my memory's uh, my memory for this isn't good but it was something in the bible about like um sort of uh that money oh money is the root of all evil right that right. famous quote right essentially so actually research shows that that's not true so it's not that necessary and this is sort of you know kind of that particular study so it's not necessarily so that the power and the wealth actually corrupts people right but it's actually the corruptible people are the ones who misuse the power and the wealth so what you find is that essentially like let's say if a good person is, I don't want to say naturally, but at that state, right? Let's say baseline, right? Before anything happens to them. So they, they're genuinely kind of a value, uh, okay, I hesitate to use this word, not valuable, that's not a good word. Let's say ethical, right? I would say maybe that's a valuable person, whatever, that's a whole other discussion. So if a person is already ethical, right? And you give this person wealth and you give this person power, essentially like that person is going to use that wealth and power for good, right? Not obviously for kind of selfish means too, but also they will use it for something positive right whereas at the other end of the spectrum if somebody who's highly narcissistic attains power and wealth they'll obviously use it in a corruptible way or not in a corruptible way but in a way that is like an indicator of corruption so interestingly enough and adam grant was talking about this before richard nixon was even president he was a lawyer and he was such a fucking awful lawyer that there was a moment where the judge looked at him and he said man i literally hope that you never practice in front of me again he's like like this is all he's like you are like literally i don't remember exactly what he said but he pretty much implied that he was a pretty awful 
like human being. And he's like, like you have no ethics. Like you have none. And obviously what happened? Watergate. So interestingly, what we, see, what we see is that like when it comes to wealth, sometimes the fear is that, okay, like rich people are notoriously, let's say evil because they have to be, right? Like that's not obviously like they're wealthy. Like that's what wealth does to people and they're powerful and that's what power does to people. Not true, right? Nuanced thinking actually says and research says that it's actually coming from the sort of the person's inner value system that makes them one thing over the other. So if you give a good person, right, again, sort of I get it in black and white terms. Not everybody's obviously good or bad, but the point is that if you find a person who has like a good sort of, let's say a pro-social system of values, right, that we all agree with are good values, and you give that person a lot of power and a lot of money, they're actually going to do a lot of good with it, as opposed to somebody like Richard Nixon. Mm. Interesting, right? Very interesting. Yeah, so, and I was like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, yeah, of course. Uh, that's why we should be analyzing a lot of these famous sayings, like money is the root of all yes. evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, out of curiosity, uh, let's see. Yeah, well, you have any final thoughts on the Alan Watts? Mm, what I guess the thing that I would say that I liked the most was his assessment of power. And like for you guys, obviously, I hope that you guys check out the video. What, the name of it was... Uh, what would you do if money was no object? Right. And so I thought his assessment of power was really cool because it's something that I do in my day to day. So with clients that I see who are like obviously kind of obsessed with status and wealth and power, when we go through these discussions and these explorations of what power actually is and what it means, somewhere down the line, some of them, not all obviously, but they kind of have the realization of, oh shit, this actually isn't that great. And I don't really think that it'll make me so happy. And I mean, that's a whole discussion in itself, right? Obviously kind of we're out of time, but for you guys, I really hope you check it out because a lot of the points that he makes about power are very similar to the points that we come to together in session. <laughs> Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. What about you? One thing that I like in, in terms of, yeah, that power part mm -hmm. is that mm, by letting go the need to control mm -hmm. what somebody else does or how they're going to react or your relationship with them, mm -hmm. what's fascinating is it's like this paradoxical thing occurs mm -hmm. when when you don't try to control what they do they surprise you yeah. and many times pleasantly surprise you mm -hmm. and it, it's funny it's weird it's like I, and I've come from both sides of it there have been times I've tried to control what's mm -hmm. going on mm -hmm. and I've been met with a lot of blowback also just a lot of misunderstandings and things of that nature but then other times when I let go of control and let's say I didn't have the same, how should I put this? Like when I wanted to control things, I cared so much. Mm -hmm. You would think you want somebody to care, but it wasn't the, it was coming from the wrong place. It was I selfish would say. care. Yeah. yeah. But then when I let go and I didn't, it's not that I didn't care. I still cared, but it was kind of like, um, if this happens, great. If this doesn't happen, great. Mm -hmm whatever happens great mm -hmm. whatever i'm just gonna do what i'm gonna do but it's strange it was like when i came from that sort of an, a place uh paradoxically i got everything i ever wanted when i was interested in power and that was interesting to me mm -hmm. um yeah. I, I think that's probably yeah. the most important statement of the show i kid you not all right. Yeah. Well then, guys, if good you want to... Good note to leave it off on. 100%. <laughs> and if you want to follow us, follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Seize underscore podcast on Twitter. Uh, remember to hit like and bell. subscribe and mm -hmm. hit the bell. And yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. See ya. <laughs>